You are listening to Detroit Craft Academy, episode number 40. Detroit Craft Academy, Detroit Crafts with Jody, Detroit Craft Academy. Hey Crafty Pals, thanks for tuning in to Detroit Craft Academy. I'm your host, Miss Jody Lynn, and this is the show where I interview artists, crafters, entrepreneurs, and creative types about what they do and how they got started. If you guys enjoy listening to Detroit Craft Academy and want to support the show, head on over to iTunes and give the show a review. Or if you'd just like to drop me a line and let me know what you think, you can reach me at DetroitCraftAcademy.com. Um, on today's episode, we talk with Ryan Weiss. Ryan is a sculptor, illustrator, and creator behind his handmade business, Loam. Ryan, thanks for joining me on Detroit Craft Academy. Oh, thanks for having me, Jody. I'm yeah. a big fan. <laughs> I'm really excited that you are able to come on here. We've had lots of crafty friends ask for you to be on here because I think people are curious about the, the mystery man <laughs> <laughs> behind the, the tiny sculptures. Oh. Um, so to get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where did you grow up and where did you go to school? Sure. Um, I grew up in uh, Belleville, Michigan. Mm-hmm. It's right by the airport. Uh, and I went to school at Kendall College of Art and Design in Grand Rapids. What did you go to school for? Yeah, I got a uh, bachelor's in traditional illustration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when, like, when did you graduate? Like, uh, graduated 2007. So after you got done at school, like, did you start working as an illustrator? No, I, uh, when I got out of school, I started working with my dad. Um, you know, he's a contractor, mm-hmm. specializes in uh, custom cabinetry and carpentry stuff. So I was working with him for probably the first nine months out of school. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I got a gig as a uh, graphic designer for a uh, screen printing company uh, in Ann Arbor. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that was like, you know, do you come from a creative or entrepreneurial family? Like, that's actually a question that I ask of everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, actually. um, So my dad uh, ran his own contracting business. Uh He just retired from it. Um, And then... On my mom's side, my grandpa was a self-employed tile man. Mm-hmm. So, trades, entrepreneurs on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like with what my dad was doing, there's like a lot of creativity and like problem solving. Yeah. Like he could, you know, he knew how to fix so much stuff by just looking at it and coming up with an idea instantly. Uh-huh. And then being able to materialize that. So, growing up was like, creativity and art a thing that happened in your household? Mm, Not necessarily art per se, Mm -hmm. but just like the functional creativity. Yeah. Yeah. Art uh, was always supported, like uh, being creative. I feel feel like very on the same page with you on that because like my dad owned and ran a plumbing company and he would always like come home with like these pipes and be like look I made a table (laughs) (laughs) I was like oh that's cool and functional (laughs) Uh. so how did you get into art has it like always been something that you've been personally interested in like were you always drawing as a kid and like 
Talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, you, you nailed it. Uh -huh. um, you know, I, my mom said ever since I learned to hold a crayon, I was constantly cranning. Mm -hmm. But uh, <laughs> I, my first like real memory of like being hooked by art was like my mom sat me down and she took one of my Ninja Turtle action figures mm -hmm. and I watched her sketch my Ninja Turtle action figure mm -hmm. and you know I loved Ninja Turtles at the time and I was really blown away by this act of drawing and like having a blank paper and then suddenly there's lines on it and it's the image that you were looking at oh yeah so like I probably redrew that Ninja Turtle I traced her Ninja Turtle like hundreds of times mm -hmm. and just kind of took off from there <laughs> um, but it's always been pretty important to me uh-huh and was your mom and like is your mom a creative person um I she is but she won't give herself credit for it mm -hmm. you know and her creativity manifests in like you know the way she decorated the house and like mm -hmm. um, just her ideas for solving problems when I was a kid, you know, helping me figure stuff out, like I always thought that was. She always had good ideas. Yeah. Stuff, so. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, you started off in illustration. Yes. How did you go from illustration to what you're doing now, which is like three D forms? First of all, like for anyone that's listening, why don't you kind of explain? what it is that you do sure and then maybe talk about how you went from 2d illustration to what you're doing now sure sure uh so what i do now is um i make three-dimensional landscapes um using uh wood and, and found objects mm -hmm. um i you know i make trees and you know connect things together um and how i started it's been like a really long organic process mm -hmm. and um, you know basically like when I was in high school I was big into surrealism and graffiti and I was pretty much a painter mixed-media painter but I always used like found objects or found weird things to paint on mm -hmm. and I also liked punk rock a lot yeah so everything <laughs> had kind of like this really heavy-handed social commentary to uh -huh. it um, and that's what I did, that's how I approached college. And then in the middle of college, I kind of got, my focus changed to more like expanding my consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I started doing more work, like ethereal works, uh, kind of trying to translate sublime ideas into, <laughs> you know, I kind of thought I was a uh -huh. shaman at some point, but. Oh yeah. Um, but then 2000, happened in the housing market the housing crisis started mm -hmm. and I started painting houses in all my work like probably around 2009 mm -hmm. and um, also at that time I, I got invited to do a show at uh, Nickelodeon Animation Studios no way yeah that's awesome yeah that was a that was a blast but uh, one of the and I was in this big housing kick so I did like 36 pieces for the show, all about housing, you know, and family and stuff. And one of the pieces I did was uh, I, I uh, took a piece of found wood from my dad's shop and uh, I cut, I 
cut a house out of another piece of wood. Mm -hmm. And I used this technique that my grandfather had taught me. It was like the first time I ever used a power tool. Mm -hmm. And the technique is like, uh, I cut the shape out of the house and then on a separate piece of wood, you cut other parts out. Like I cut a roof out and I cut the shape of the door out and you layer it all together and it gives it this three dimensional look to it. Yeah. I really liked how that turned out. I really liked the idea of like thinking about my grandfather teaching me that process and mm -hmm. like the smell of sawdust just kind of like woke up the woodworking in me. Yeah. And uh, so after that show, I started building houses three-dimensionally, like uh -huh. out of balsa wood. And they were probably about the size of your thumb to the size of your pinky. And um, just through necessity, I had to start figuring out how I could build these house these neighborhoods because uh -huh. you can't just have like houses floating on canvases that doesn't doesn't yeah. work very well so from there I started building up like figured out like a platform for them to stand on I found that like reclaimed wood would, would be really cool to like layer them up and that would act as different layers of earth uh -huh. and then um, then you gotta add stuff to it because it just looks like a barren neighborhood and that's not what anybody <laughs> wants to see so um, I learned how to live in a bare neighborhood. Yeah, no, who does? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I started, I learned how to build trees and power lines and uh -huh. telephone lines and I made neighborhoods. Uh -huh. And that's what I was doing for a while. And um, one of my favorite stories from the housing crisis was that there was a community in the South who were kind of fighting back. And what they would do is on the day that like a sheriff would come to serve an eviction, like execute an eviction, uh, the neighbors, the community, the friends and family, they'd all come into this house and pack the house so full of people that the sheriff would be like, it's not worth it. Like yeah. the, the police would back off and the family could live in that house until the bank filed the paperwork for the eviction again. Wow. So I really liked that idea of like uh -huh. everybody coming together to like, fight the man yeah um so that's what i was doing with that work like all the houses were all separate but they were all connected together to make a larger organism mm -hmm. support each other and then 2017 hits and i heard this radio lab podcast about uh, the wood wide web or uh, a mycorrhizal network oh is that with the trees yeah oh i know exactly what you're talking about yeah Yes. Yes. Um, f for those who don't know, it's um, the mycorrhizal network is like a it's a symbiotic relationship between all the plants and trees in a healthy forest and a fungus that grows with them underground. Yeah. And the fungus basically connects all the roots together, and they're able to pass nutrients from one end of the forest to another. They can barter and trade nutrients and water. But it's like all the all the different plants and all of the different like everything. Yeah, yeah. anything that has roots is uh -huh. connected. Like trees are connected the same way as like the grass or mm -hmm. you know yeah. anything else. So uh, and they've I was fascinated because like they were saying that they were tracking these exchanges up to forty miles away from like where they were testing stuff. Like uh -huh. they found these nutrients everywhere. And I thought that was cool. That reminded me a lot of like that story in the South where people would come together 
and help each other out. Yeah. So I was like, that's, they're connected. So that's when I kind of turned more towards just doing landscapes Mm -hmm. and exploring their connections Mm -hmm. and similarities to us. Um, Yeah. And and Loam is a kind of a watered down version of of those ideas. Mm -hmm. And how did you come up with the name Loam and what does that mean? Sure. Uh, Loam is a, um, it's a, uh, uh, it's a type of soil that's made from decomposed organic material, clay, and minerals. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be very fertile. Um, and that kind of came out of the mycorrhizal network idea. Um, there is another aspect to the artwork where I went down this rabbit hole of like connecting reincarnation and like science you know like the the law of conservation of mass states that matter can neither be created nor destroyed mm-hmm. so in a roundabout way i kind of feel like uh, plants have a lot more intelligence than yeah. uh, everybody thought uh-huh. and that's because the stuff that uh, allows us to think and um care and feel same molecules go back into the earth mm-hmm. and plants or whatever gets grown out of those same molecules so it's loam yeah you know, it's, it's all connected yeah it's all connected yeah oh, that's awesome <laughs> i love this like i i don't know like i i'm like i'm like you know i can really resonate with that i'm also like you're talking about like going through a phase of like wanting to be a shaman or whatever like i'm like totally into like woo woo stuff and for a while like I actually went to this is before the Maharishi died I went to the Maharishi school of management out in Iowa to do a transcendental meditation class and all of this like weird that's so cool David Lynch was there Donovan was there it was a a very interesting time in my life like really trying to you know seek out Yeah, you know, something. I, I think that's what a lot of people do. I mean, a lot of people, I feel like mm-hmm. everybody's looking for some sort of explanation or reason. You know, yeah, I mean, connection. Yeah, a connection. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about how Loam got started and what gave you the idea to start a handmade business. Sure. Um, well... I've, uh, I've been good friends with uh, Dennis and Christina from Arsenal Handicraft mm-hmm. for a long time. And um, I've kind of watched them grow their business. And I've actually been lucky enough to help help them, you know, run a couple shows here and there. I went out of town with Dennis to go help him out with a show while Christina was working another show locally. And I really liked... I really liked the community like Mm -hmm. everybody was so friendly to each other and made sure everybody was doing good and the shop talking was awesome and I always kind of wanted to be a part of that yeah um and so it was always in my head to try to try to figure out something to sell and um before that though or during all of this I was trying to be like a gallery artist yeah. Um, and I do shows here and there, and they're a lot of fun, but mm-hmm. they're 
exhausting and it's a lot of work for like one night or one month mm-hmm. whereas crafting you're constantly constantly selling stuff I mean that's yeah it's cool um so I just came up with this whole loam idea like the whole connections between nature and humans and I started making work for a big show I was ready to do like a solo show mm-hmm. so I started making like all these little tiny pieces for an installation I had in mind and I started kind of shopping my my idea around to some galleries and was kind of getting the run around and not really not really feeling it mm-hmm. and I ran into uh, Leslie from gingerly made mm-hmm. at Mopop and she gave me like a like a hell of a pep talk like she did she pretty much did everything except for literally kick my ass <laughs> into applying to DCF. Oh, I love that girl. <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. So uh, I took her advice and applied to DUCF. Uh-huh. I waited till like the last day to apply. Did you? Yeah. And before I applied, like the week before I applied, I like prototyped some work, shot it, uh-huh. created an Instagram account, uploaded everything to a website. Oh. Yeah. So you like did all of that in preparation for just applying to a show. Yeah. And Detroit Urban Craft Fair was your first show. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was it, it was a blast. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it pretty much changed my life. Yeah. Yeah. And um so now so was that that was the your first show was in two thousand and just last year. Eighteen. So you have December, right. November. Okay. Yeah. So all right, that's awesome. Yeah. So as far as like, so how many shows have you done now at this point? Uh, handmade. Well, in the craft shows, mm-hmm. I've done uh, handmade Toledo was my third. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And how like coming from the art world where like you had been doing gallery shows and kind of like. I, I know, because, like, that's kind of how where I started, too. And it's like, you know, you go and you have a show and your, your shit might sell, it might not. And yeah. then, you know, you kind of just walk away with a lot of those people like, well, that was a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, like, I didn't even meet anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was it. You know, like, with those opening, like, it was such a roller coaster. Like, you spend eight, nine months working on a body of work for the show. Yeah. And you're just driving yourself nuts because you're like, I got to have a great idea and uh-huh. I got to execute it perfectly and I have to do X amount of work. And then, you know, the drop date shows up and you are happy because you made it and you hit your goals. You drop your work off. You feel great. Then the next couple of days you start to doubt yourself and uh-huh. you plummet. And then opening night comes and you feel even more nervous and like even worse. And then, you know, I always spent like most of those opening nights like kind of tucked away with a couple friends or something and just, oh yeah, you know, and then about three quarters through opening night, you start to feel okay uh-huh. and you're ready to meet people, but then everybody's cleared out and it's just like, a, oh yeah. You know, and, and honestly, like, I mean, the couple openings that I have like, you know, most people just show up for the free wine. There's that too. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Who's there? <laughs> Who can see me in this 
very chic outfit. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, like the scene is very different, but. Well, then, yeah, then you have something like DUCF where it's three days mm-hmm. and you're, it's kind of awkward, but like people are walking past and you're standing in front of your work or sitting in front of your work. Yeah. And like, you're kind of forced to watch them interact with what you've done. Yeah, instead of like hiding in the corner underneath the wine table, which is normally where I was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. You know, and, uh, and that, if it's going well, you know, that high that you get from a success, mm-hmm. that that's three days, that's much longer than just a couple hours on opening night. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, so. totally. And you like, um, you know, it, it's either when people are coming, they're actually coming for a reason to like purchase stuff too, right? Yeah. Um, not just be a socialite. Yeah, know? exactly. Which is, it's just, it's, it has a very different feeling. Yeah. I like, you know, no offense to the fine art community, sure. but like, I don't think I ever want to do a fine art show <laughs> yeah. again, unless like, <laughs> there's like cupcakes or something, yeah. you know? <laughs> I mean, I did quit drinking, but only for the fact that I'm like, dude, like, come on. Like, (laughs) this isn't a place to be seen. Right, Uh, right. Come because you like my artwork. (laughs) Exactly. Yep. Yep. Uh, Oh, my gosh. Um, So how has your creative process changed since you first began doing artwork to currently? Oh, man. Um, Well when I was doing like the fine art stuff, I kind of had, I worked intuitively, like Mm I never really sketched anything out. Um, And that took, it took a lot longer and it seemed much more labor intensive to complete a piece of work Mm -hmm. just because you're figuring it out on the go and you're thinking so much about that piece. And now, um, as I've gotten older and now with Loam, it's kind of, I've got like a couple good, I've got a couple products that I make now and it's, I've got the processes fairly down pat. There's always room for improvement Mm -hmm. and I'm getting faster and higher quality work every time I go through the process. But um, yeah, it's much quicker and efficient now to just be like, okay, I'm making these six things Uh and um, I can, I can think about a new item while I'm going through these processes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot more efficient now. So because you're such a relatively new business, like, I guess, what are some of the fears that you have about starting a business? Is this something that you want to eventually be able to transition into full time? Like, do you have goals kind of set up around where you want to take loan? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm certainly, one thing I'm really concerned about right now is um, growing responsibly. Like I don't mm-hmm. want to take on, so, I mean I've been there before where I've took on too much mm-hmm. and I'm burned out. Yeah. And there's so much more to do. <laughs> well, some people too, like, I mean, like the beautiful thing about like handmade businesses, right, is like it can be as big or small as you want it to be. Right. And so like, I think everyone's like, oh no, you got to grow my business so big and so big and like this, 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 like, but it's really cool because 
it is your own thing that like you are responsible for so like i mean so the question is like do you see it getting like bigger or like what's your do you have you even realized your comfort yet in how big or small you want it to be yes yeah i i Uh have no no idea like right now i'm working like a lot yeah like I work a full-time, I mean, I'm, this is like the story everybody yeah. sings, but like I'm working a full-time job and uh-huh. then it's like I come home, eat, hang out with the dog for an hour, and then I'm in the studio for, until I can't stay awake anymore. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. And it's just, uh, I love it. It's a, I wouldn't rather be doing anything else, uh-huh. you know, but there's still just like, Oh, something's gonna give and like I don't I don't know yeah I don't know what my comfort level is yeah. um, it's right. an interesting question and it's always like in the beginning like I always interview people like thinking back right yeah but like I think it's a very interesting spot to be in when you're first starting because there's so many possibilities and some of those possibilities are things that you haven't even realized yet Right. Which is very cool and exciting. <laughs> That's absolutely, yeah. Um, I'm totally excited about it. I, I'm open to mm-hmm. what... Okay, so like I have no idea what form it's taking. I don't know where uh-huh. it's going to go right now. I'm really happy doing it, and I'm open to whatever direction it, it leads me to. Yeah. You know? That's, and that's like a beautiful way to look at it, too. Yeah. What has been the biggest thing that you have learned from starting your business versus ideas you had of what it would be like to run a business when you first oh, started off? Great question. I knew it would be a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So my expectations have been met there. Um, but I had, like I did my taxes, you know, through TurboTax. Uh-huh. Uh, I hope they give you an ad revenue for that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, and like, I started trying to deduct a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And like, I, I took terrible notes on that. And like, I had no idea like uh-huh. it was going to be that detailed. And like, oh my God, taxes? It's a mess. They're insane. Yeah. Like, honestly, I feel like if I could give any advice to anyone, like starting off and like, get that stuff on lockdown yeah. quickly. Because if you let it go, man. Yeah. Nightmare, nightmare zone. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I missed out on like a lot of write-offs and like I yeah. think I lost a lot of money this year or last year just doing my own taxes and not doing a good job. Of yeah, keeping track of stuff. So that's hard. So that was that was a surprise. Mm-hmm. Do you have any um, fears about? surrounding running your own business currently or like challenges that you are currently having well um yeah well like right now like growing sustainably or mm-hmm. trying to find the balance between buy like I'm still kind of buying some equipment mm-hmm. acquiring new things for the business versus like what I'm actually selling Mm-hmm. And um, you know, that's an interesting that's an interesting dilemma. Like I understand you're supposed to run at a at a loss for like a couple of years, like when you're running your business, but I don't know. 
kind of <laughs> kind of nervous about it. I don't think that's a good thing. I want to sell more stuff. Uh-huh. It's a I don't know. It's a fine line. It's right? a, it is a fine line. Yeah. Like I I mean, I you still work a full-time job and everything too. Like I did my business for like four or five years before I was even able to like think about leaving. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't even on the table. Right. It was kind of like a daydream. And then one day I sat down and I realized that I was had like money coming in from all of these art fairs. And then I had money coming in from like Etsy and all these other things. And I looked at it and then I realized if I had more time, I could make more money right. doing these things. And then I realized how much I was getting paid at my desk job right. doing, you know, you know, just and realizing it wasn't worth my time to be sitting at this desk job. Sure. So I put in my two weeks and started applying to every single show that I could. Yeah. I think that first year, because I was so nervous about, oh my gosh, I need shows or something. Right. I think I did probably close to three to four shows a month. What? Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Wow. It was insane. That's like the definition of hustle, man. I that's was incredible. The, I, an insane person. <laughs> wow. Like I would get an email from somebody and been like, "Hey, I'm having this show at this gallery here spot. Would you like to come set up a table for seventy five dollars?" I would just say like, "Yes." I would just yeah. say yes to everything. Yeah. And now, I know better because I've done a lot of really bad shows too. <laughs> sure. Which is which is weird because I always. I was in the same boat in the art art mm -hmm. game was like say yes to everything. Yes. Commissions, yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, per live live painting, yep. Anything mm -hmm. to get exposure, you said yes to, but a lot of times that stuff was just a kind of a waste of time, you know? Like, but I mean, like it, well, especially in the art world too and like in some of those things because I've done them too yeah. I end up feeling like a rodeo clown or something like you just hired me for free basically yeah. I'm not even getting paid to be here and getting exposure yeah. and it, you know now you'll you also get it to, like, you're an illustrator you know can you draw me this yeah <laughs> yep and that and I have to, to say, pay for you yeah, <laughs> yeah. what <laughs> how, wait how much do you think that's <laughs> worth yeah. you know to do this thing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yeah and, and not again not to say any of that stuff was is a waste of time but mm -hmm. just as and actually probably doing all that stuff doing those crazy amounts of shows right off the bat wasn't a waste of time because you learned you learned discretion you learned how to say no you learned what shows you you know, you, you learned how to better invest your time. Mm -hmm. So I guess all that early stuff wasn't really a waste of time. Yeah, no, it's just, you know, being able to kind of like get the experience you need. I mean, I honestly, you know, I, I don't see that it's a waste of time. I think it's like it gives you the knowledge of knowing right. what is valuable to you. Because maybe to somebody else, that little show that barely anyone showed up to 
somebody is going to walk in through that door and that's going to be a pivotal moment in their entire life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's just depends sure. what the universe wants to throw at you. There's some woo-woo stuff. Yeah, no, that was, that's beautiful. You're absolutely right. I mean, you nailed it. That's great. Uh, um, so, you still work your nine to five. Yeah. Um, so, with time management, that can be a huge thing, and you're talking about all of the work that you're currently doing. Um, do you have any, like... Thing that you do for time management any tips for people out there that are also working nine to five and running a handmade business um, I try to like during the weekdays I try to understand I'm not gonna get a ton done mm -hmm. but I spend most of the weekdays like prepping like spending four or five hours a night prepping stuff for the weekend where like mm -hmm. then it's just like huge production days during the weekend yeah um but time management it's just i don't i don't know just stay like i stay focused and like on that car ride home from the from the office uh -huh. to home i'm thinking about the, the steps i'm gonna do yeah. when i get to the, the wood shop or the studio so you're pretty organized then not really but i try to kind of organize in my head yeah things yeah. <laughs> yeah. um so with everything that you do what keeps you centered like do you have a regular morning practice or routine that helps you stay centered with like your work and your daily life um i wouldn't i probably need more of that honestly mm -hmm. um I know like when I start to feel kind of crazy or I start thinking weird, I can't organize things anymore. Yeah. Uh, I'll go off, I'll spend a couple hours in the morning on a weekend out in the woods with the dog. Mm -hmm. That helps kind of get things centered and yeah, regrouped. Yeah. Um, also like I found that spending a couple hours with something that like doing uh, music stuff. Like uh -huh. I play with some music stuff on the side yeah. for a couple hours once a week just to kind of train the brain in another creative realm. Yeah. yeah, that's what I feel about my banjo playing. Yeah. <laughs> my horrible banjo playing. <laughs> <laughs> just picking and if you hear it, run. <laughs> yeah, and it's something completely different than what you're used to doing. It's not... Uh-huh drawing and it's not yeah it's like stuff. keeping it's, the brain active yep. too yep. for sure and it's productive i mean at the mm -hmm. end of it you've gained practice at something that you like to do so. yeah no that's totally very true yeah. yeah it's like i i'm like i'm very interested in people's like centering practices um it's like it's interesting to me there are so many people that don't have anything like that or like don't even realize what that is yeah. like staying on like a regular routine or anything like that it's, yeah. it's, it's a fascinating thing yeah. to me <laughs> yeah 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 and actually you know the the act of doing work for loam mm -hmm. i feel like is a centering 
aspect yeah. for me mm -hmm. um, just because it's art still and it's still like an expression and the act of making stuff is still like a meditation for me totally um, yeah do you still draw and uh, occasionally yeah occasionally like if I'm sketching an idea out, I'll, I'll draw the ideas mm -hmm. out now for loam yeah 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 I I like it's it's interesting talking about like the act of making being a centering thing too because like I, I totally understand that even in my own practice where um, <laughs> like I've been feeling absolutely crazy the past week and a half and then I have not been working in my studio drawing. Like I've just been doing all the paperwork and yeah. all of the the business end of stuff and all of that kind of stuff is yeah. not anything that I enjoy to do. It's just kind of like this is stuff I have to do. Yeah. Um ugh. <laughs> So so yeah, is it is it for you like do you a lot of people would a lot of professional artists I knew when I was younger, mm -hmm. they were always like, like when I met the people at Nickelodeon, mm -hmm. they were like, man, I really envy what you're doing. You're just like doing artwork for yourself. They're always like, I never do artwork for myself. I'm, I've got to draw this dog Because over that's what Nickelodeon wants them yeah. to draw, yeah. And it's a, it's a job. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I feel really unfulfilled. <laughs> he's like, honestly, I feel really unfulfilled doing this, but yeah. it pays the bills. Um, doing what what you're doing full-time does it is it still like that fulfilling? fulfilling yes like when you're drawing because for a new print it's I think if I was constantly being given exactly what to draw yeah by somebody that would be unfulfilling sure but because I'm still navigating my own creativity and drawing what I want to draw I think that definitely and like fulfills this part of me that you know it's like I'll just be sitting there and coming up with an idea and like yes like I do like city portraits or like portraits of whatever or specific things that people ask me to do yeah but it's still something that I genuinely love to do and I'm obsessed with research so like Whenever I get to do a new drawing, I get to research all of this like weird, crazy stuff, and then I come back with all these like fun facts. Nice, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm currently doing the Illustrated City of Berkeley, and uh, I was researching kit houses because kit houses are so in the 1920s. Thank you. Yeah. You can buy a house from the Sears catalog. Oh. which used to be Montgomery Ward. And right. I actually have some of these catalogs from the 1920s because I'm a weirdo. With and actual houses in with them? With actual houses in them. And so for in 1922 in the Montgomery Ward catalog, you could purchase a three-bedroom house for 1198 Wow. That came with all of the lumber to build the house, the siding, the windows the roofing, all of the, like, everything to have the house, right? It's incredible. So it came that, and then you would just take the kit to your piece of land and build the house. <laughs> Amazing, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, a lot of the houses, styles that you see, like, in the metro Detroit area are actually kit houses. 
and they were purchased in the Sears catalog in Montgomery Ward. And so I was looking through the list of kit houses in Berkeley, and there are quite a few of them. (laughs) No kidding. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's such a cool idea that they did that. And that's cool that you get to research and find out about all that stuff. Yeah, um, it's pretty awesome. I I was gifted a uh, or like left to me my when my uncle passed away. He gave me a collection of his books, and one of the books was the 1922 Montgomery Ward catalog, wow. which is really cool. That is really cool. <laughs> that's incredible. Uh, wow. Yeah, little little house history for you there. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Hmm. Um, so do you have any new projects or plans coming up for the upcoming year? I actually did come up with like a new idea like three days ago, mm-hmm. but it's kind of secret. Okay. I can't, it'll, okay. it'll be revealed, but. Man shrouded in mystery. Yeah. Is it a big project? It's just going to be a little fun thing. Okay. That so a new product. No, not no? a product. Okay. It'll be, it, it's just going to be a little fun thing, but okay. it'll be I'm excited. Connected. Yeah. Um, and how are you doing a lot of summer fairs? I'm doing, well, no, right now I'm just gearing up for the Ann Arbor Art Fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one's huge. Yeah. You're doing that, right? I am. Yeah. I'm actually going to be, I looked on the map. You're like seven booths down from me. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Cool. We're on the same street. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so if you could go back in time and give yourself advice, what advice would you give yourself? Oh man, 100%. Start start this idea earlier. Yeah. Like, jump into something with loam mm-hmm. a lot earlier instead of... I had a lot of fun doing the art shows. I learned a ton, but I wish I was... I had come up with a product idea a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much the biggest advice I would give myself. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And as far as anyone starting off and like wanting to go down the path of doing handmade fairs, what advice would you give to people that maybe just had like an idea or just starting off? Learn, uh, talk to as many people as possible mm-hmm. about the experiences, go to a couple yourself. Make some friends, try to sit in on their booths while they're working, see what it takes, help them yeah. load and unload, um, and uh, see if that's something you're interested in doing. Yeah. I think that would be the best advice. And then if you've got like an idea, try to come up with an idea that you can easily transport, mm-hmm. you can ship, and uh, something you can make repetitively over and over again yes yeah and that you're interested in making over and over again yeah so that's cool yeah that's good good advice yeah now that you've done a couple shows what is the weirdest funniest thing that anyone has ever said to you at an art fair Mm, this was kind of a weird one somebody at dipsy came up and they were like have you ever been to ikea before i was like yeah of course you're like, oh, you know, I could see this stuff, your work, in Ikea. I'm like, cool, that's a compliment. Thank uh-huh. you very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's like, do you mind if I take a photo of this? I've got friends in, in Europe that would really like to see this. I'm like, 
Uh, yeah, go ahead. Thank you, man. Isn't that where IKEA comes from? Somewhere yeah, in Europe? Sweden. Sweden? Yeah. yeah. This is like, I wonder if. Uh-huh. I, it was just a kind yeah. of an uncomfortable moment putting yeah. that together. At, at least he asked you if you could get a photo, though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then there was another lady who came up and saw all the trees, and she's like, oh, these are all, you make all these trees by hand? And I'm like, yep. She goes, uh, I, I wish I had the time to do something like this. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of a, you know, kind uh-huh. of an insult, but then at the same time, it's kind of a, I don't know what that was supposed to be, but. Yeah, people yeah. say weird stuff. People yeah. do really, really weird stuff at fairs. Like, I always get... Always, at least once every large craft fair, is some like old woman walking in the booth, and she'll like pick up a print and be like, "What is this supposed to be?" Oh, <laughs> I'm like, "Well, it's an art print." Yeah. Hmm. It looks like something for scrapbooking. If I buy three of them, can you give me a, a super deal because I'm gonna <laughs> cut them up and make them scrapbooking, oh, and I'm no. just like. No, I'm not selling. Like she's like, will you sell three of them to me for twenty dollars? Since I'm gonna be scrapbooking them, and I'm, I'm like, selling none of them to you. <laughs> no, I'm selling none of them to you. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so weird. It's so funny because like I worked in retail for such a long time. Yeah. And you know, you're being hired by somebody else to say nice things to people to sell sure. their stuff, and. You know, because you're working for yourself, there's nobody there to scold you if you say something. <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, you yeah. know. Do you have a picture of Donald Trump? Get that. Get the yeah, fuck no. out of my booth. Yeah, we're done. Go. <laughs> yeah. You're not allowed in here. <laughs> Sales over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's no HR you have to worry yeah. about. <laughs> um. So. Uh, do you have a favorite book or one that you are currently reading? Um, well, the most recent book I read was uh, Tribe by Sebastian Younger. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that one? Uh, no, please elaborate. Sure. Um, it's about, so Sebastian Younger is like a war correspondent. I think he did work in Afghanistan, but also some older ones. And uh, the book is kind of about... Uh, PTSD where it comes from and like how a lot of soldiers come back and have troubles assimilating back into civilian life Mm. but the crux of it is is that you know um, these guys are dependent on each other in war for survival everybody has a crucial role to their survival and they come back to civilian life and they're working a desk job that doesn't really Mm -hmm. matter or they're they just feel useless like um, and it kind of gives nerfed life. Uh-huh. Current modern life is super nerfed. Um, you don't really have to do much to survive anymore. Yeah. So it, he kind of draws these parallels between the increased depression and anxiety that we are experiencing uh-huh. in our civilization to the fact that what we do on a daily basis does not impact our daily survival. Yeah. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. I'm going to have to look that up, and I'll put links to anyone that <laughs> wants to check that out, too. Um, so you are not on Facebook. No. 
I, uh, there was one time I was using Facebook Messenger mm-hmm. on my phone and it asked me to update something and I blindly updated it and every single one of my text messages showed up on Facebook Messenger. What? Yeah. You know, I always get worried because, you know, like when you're on Facebook on your phone and like your pictures, it will say like upload every single picture or like whatever. I'm just like, oh my God. No. No. I don't know what that is, Dad. Yeah. No. <laughs> I understand why. Yeah. But if people want to get in touch with you. How can they do so? <laughs> sure. I'm uh, most active uh, at, on Instagram at mm-hmm. Loneworks. Um, you can reach out through uh, my website, loneworks.com, mm-hmm. uh, or Ryan at RyanMWeiss.com. Awesome. Cool. Well, Ryan, thanks so much for taking time out to chat with me today. Oh, Jody, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, this Thank has been you. great. And that concludes episode number 40. If you'd like to find out more about Ryan, head on over to DetroitCraftAcademy.com where you can find pictures and links to Ryan's website. And as always, if you like what you heard and want to support the show, head on over to iTunes and give the show a review. And until next time, keep on crafting your dreams. Detroit Crafts with Jody. Detroit Craft Academy. Detroit Craft Academy.